This morning we're reading from Philippians 4, 2 through 7. Thanks for standing for the reading of God's word. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together, with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can take a seat. Is it just me or every time Paula reads, you want to like sit on a rug and just like, oh yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, good morning again, everybody. Uh, my name's Sean. If I don't know you, uh, I'm the lead pastor teaching us here for Redemption Peoria and uh, if you've been coming in the last month, you probably have no idea who I am. Um, so I honestly would love to get to know you. Um, I'll be out in the lobby afterwards by the Connect Desk. The last month, what we do every summer, which is a huge time just for myself, not just for us as a church, my, my relationship with all of us together, but also for my family. We take a, a period of time where the elders each summer uh, preach, and, and you get to hear from, from all of us as elders together. And that time's really good for me, not just because it's Sundays are often great. I had an opportunity to preach at Flagstaff during that time. But there's just a big section of my schedule that goes preparing on Sundays, and I got to spend a lot of that time with you guys, which is really, really cool. So I'm excited for that. Anyway, just know that um, I want to get to meet you if, if I haven't yet. So again, I'll, I'll be out in the lobby. Um, I, I'm going to pray, but before I do, I'm going to read the text and just use the first uh, three verses with a kind of quick two-minute sermon, because that's not where we're going to spend our time. But it actually has something based on that, just our relationship and just how much I love Redemption Peoria and what it looks like. So let me read this real quick for you. This is how our, our text starts. It starts in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. That's, uh, John Demeter broke that down last week. And it goes into this, verse 2. Um, I entreat Judea and entreat Syntyche, I'm going to try to read it the way that Paula did, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers who names, whose names are in the book of life. Um, I thought this little section was pretty fitting. Let me just go through a couple observations before I pray. We're going to spend our time predominantly in verses 4 through 7. But number one, can we just acknowledge how many vowels the name Yudia has? It has every vowel in the English language. That's, uh, and then a D thrown in there. Um, number two, I love that this uh, speaks to uh, the women as fellow workers of the gospel. Uh, the Bible definitely, specifically in the English language, can kind of come, off, come across as male-dominant or male-centric. And that's not the case. You see here... Uh, within this beautiful confines of scripture. And uh, as four starts us off, he describes these women who are having this little spat, which we'll talk about here in a second. But regardless, he describes them as fellow workers in the gospel, which is really, really cool. And then the last thing is the fact that Paul is acknowledging something that's um, worth acknowledging as a whole in the book of Philippians. And that is the book of Philippians mentions names more than any other epistle 
uh, in the New Testament. Paul, again, as we have said over and over, has this really strong relationship with these Philippians to the point where he's bringing up, hey, there's this fight. There's this fight between Paula and Allison. Hey, guys, I just want you to get together. And, and it's made me kind of process over the last month. I, I want to just share with you guys how much I love that we're doing this together. Um, I was just speaking with someone who, was, who taught at a camp last week and just sharing how much there is a difference in when you, when you talk with someone to or preach to somebody that you're in relationship with is far different than just when I preached at Flagstaff. I love the opportunity and was glad I was able to give Vince, uh, the lead pastor there, a Sunday off. But the reality is I love being here. We're in this together. I love and I know your stories. I love that you know my story. There's no pretending here, right? Like there's no pretending for me. There's no pretending for you because we've gotten to know each other. We'll continue to get to know each other. So some of you even might find moments where you're like afraid to come to church because people know your business. That's what it's all about. And here's these two women who know each other. They're even fighting. And Paul's going, you need each other. You need each other. Whether it's teams or squads or or duos, you need to land at the same place, come together, and let's get the dub. Some of you know what I'm talking about, okay? And so here's, here's what I'm trying to say. Here's what I'm trying to put in front of you. As we read this account, it's not that they're just doing life with one another and then going, you know what, when there's a, a combative thing that goes on, I'm out, I'm going to the book of Galatians, right? Like, they're not just dipping and going to another church. They're in this. With their mess, they're in this. With the fighting, they're in this. Because, and this is what I told Flagstaff three weeks ago, sanctification is a community project. Until you realize that I need to become more like you and you need to become more like me so that together we can become more like Christ. As we look at each other and all the good and the bad and we need to sharpen each other, until we can get there, I don't know if we're really doing church. And so I want to encourage you, something that Paul puts in front of us, mentions in the word of God is a fight between believers. And as they fight, that's okay because they need each other in the gospel, their fellow workers. So with that, I want to pray, and then he's going to jump into some other stuff here. But I just want to say I love you guys. I know as elders, I love you guys. They love you. We love you. Um, I really am grateful to be doing this with you guys. So let's pray. Father, thanks just for who you are. Um, thank you for Ephesians, or uh, Philippians chapter 4. Um, the first seven verses here. As we dive into verses four, five, six, and seven, I pray that you would illuminate the text. I pray that we would recognize um, this is a collective effort for us to draw near to you and strive after you, that we need each other to do that. So we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Because of everything that I just said um, in acknowledging that the book of Philippians is extremely relational, there's something that we can recognize to kind of get us going to understand the four verses that we're going to be covering. And that is the closer we get in relationship with each other or just any type of relationship, the more practical or pragmatic you need to be. And so what I mean by that is um, it's easy for the people looking at you at the grocery store going, you need to have a good kid, discipline your kid. Or even as grandparents, like there's not as close of a relationship, but if you are the parent of a child, you eventually have to get practical. This is what happens when you do something wrong. This is what happens when you do something right, whatever it is. Um, As a matter of fact, going into this fall, I'm volunteering, coaching basketball um, at the high school and junior high level at a, a school in Maryvale. And Um, I could stand back the first day of practice and go, all right, listen, we're going to be a good team. Let's go. Let's go practice being good, right? 
And most likely, like, they're going to just go play and do what they think is their best. To, but as a coach, because now um, as a fan last year and as a dad last year, I was able from afar to go, this is what you need to do. But now as a coach, I have to think, here's drills that we need to do. Here's how we can get there. Because I got closer in relationship, the more practical we had to be. And, and, and what the, the book of Philippians in these four verses is going to do is it's going to name that goal. It's going to name a goal, and it's going to give us very practical ways to get there. Meaning, in verses 4, 5, and 6, we're going to find ourselves in four imperatives. They're called imperatives in Greek. They're just commands. There's going to be these things where Philippians is going to go, you need to do this, 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 and this. And if you do these four things, you will get verse 7. Now, I want to be clear. I I don't think that the Bible is like a book of incantations that you can just summon up any type of spell. As long as you do this, then you get this. I know there's a lot of um, Sundays within America that are devoted to 10 ways to do this or eight ways to do this. I I don't think that's the case, but I also don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and go, hey, let's recognize something. Scripture does this a lot. If you do this, this will take place. Like if you read Exodus through Deuteronomy, God seems to say a lot, if you obey the law, you'll be blessed. And the prophets, if you turn from your wicked ways, he's going to remove his wrath. I mean, Jesus himself says, if you find your life, if you can lose it, then you're going to find it. If you come towards me, you'll have peace in John 16. So I I don't want to say that if you do this, 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 then you're going to have a perfect life. But I I do want to acknowledge scripture is putting something in front of us that if you do these three things, then you will get verse seven. That's how I read the text. And so that's how I I want to go about it. Okay. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through these verses again, verses four, five, and six mention four commands. And verse seven is what we get if we do those four commands. But I don't want to start in verses four, five, and six. I actually want to start in verse seven. I want to make the win real sexy and appealing. I want to put it in front of you and go, here's why we want verse 7, okay? Um, So let's start with this. Uh, Well, let me just read it. That would be probably good. I haven't read the Bible in a couple minutes, so we should probably go back to that. Um, Verse 7 says this, And the peace of God, this is where we're going after the commands. And, based on, so blah, 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 you do this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart's and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's the the Christian narrative. If you're not a believer in here, here's our worldview of humanity. There is a moment in humanity, in, in, in the kind of the ethos of time, the genesis of time, where man was placed in a posture of peace. These dimensions called the Garden of Eden were put in there where all relationships worked rightly. And man chose to not be in those dimensions anymore. Now, what's important about the Christian narrative to understand this is um, there's a lot of ways that we can play out this word peace. As a matter of fact, in our our laying out of of leadership, when we train leaders, we go through this word peace because there's a a depth to it. This is a word called shalom. But for the sake of just understanding our idea of what peace is, we have this idea of peace in the garden. We remove ourselves from the peace. And here's what we know. As soon as we're outside of the confines of that peace in which we were created to be, All we do is long to get back to that place because outside of these confines of peace, we've only found hot summers, cold winters, stub stub toes, broken relationships. It's just bad. And so because of that, we're looking for ways to get back into the garden. That's the story of humanity. 
constantly looking for ways to get back into that peace. I mean, we, we, we try to find it in, in having certain rulers over us, certain laws in place. Maybe if we have a certain standard of comfort, that will give us peace. Maybe if we have a, a life laid out for our offspring, that will give us peace. A, a certain job, a certain spouse, whatever it is. And so we work ourselves to death, we date the wrong people, all for this striving of this peace, to be returned back to what we know is something deep within us. We're longing for this, we, we hope for this to be the case, and we're trying to get back there, and we just can't get it. And, and, and I can't help but notice all these forms of peace being false versions of this peace. I, I'm, I'm mindful of Jeremiah 8.11 when he says, they cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. You and I, if, if you're a believer in here, and you know it more if you're not, you're trying to get there in other ways. You're trying to find that peace, and you just can't get there. Uh, there's a, this is probably eight or ten years ago. I remember reading the year after the Mavericks beat the, the Heat um, and in the finals, and Dirk, um, and, and Dirk Nowitzki was the star player at the time. The next season, he, he had never been the same since then. The next season, he was interviewed, and the quote that I remember reading specifically in ESPN was, it feels like I lost my drive since we won. Like, I reached the pinnacle of my career. I thought this would bring me happiness or fulfill the void within me, and I did it, and now I feel like I, I don't know, like, what else is there? And this is all versions. This is, this is the, the political piece. Like, this is the piece of politics. This is the piece of relationships. This is the piece of, uh, of money, the piece of comfort, whatever type of piece. But here, can I just put in front of you, the win The offer on the table is, and I quote, the peace of God. So all these other pieces have failed. Let me just offer something. The win this morning is the peace of God. I could not stress enough, this is what every single one of us wants. This is what every, this is why we pass the peace. This is why I say peace be with you and also with you. This is the peace we find in the hope we have of communion This peace is the only thing that keeps our brothers and sisters sane in refugee camps, wars in Syria, our brothers and sisters in in the destitute posture of Venezuela right now. This is the only thing that keeps our brothers and sisters sane amidst persecution, you amidst trials. This peace that we have is dense. It has girth or something about it. It's the peace of God that's different than all these other pieces that are offered. And so, so let me just put this, it's hard because as believers, what's frustrating about peace is we forget that we have it so easily, and as, as, as non-believers, you don't recognize how much you actually need it. So I can lay my head down tonight, and though Candace and I may worry about how we're going to pay this bill, or what we're going to do with this, or how we're going to do that, at the end of the day, I forget, I'm good. I'm Okay. Like, there may be turmoil around me, but I have something that my neighbor Dave does not have. He doesn't even know he needs it. We take this piece for granted, and I just want to remind you, we'll come back to verse 7 and explain it more, but the win is the peace of God. It's what you and I need as believers. It's what you need if you're not. Now, he gets to the how we get there, right? And this is where it feels a little bit like an incantation. There are four things that he's going to lead us up to getting there. And it's in verses 4, 5, and 6. Now, before I share these things, I've got to give you two prefaces. Because I, I worry sometimes how we can treat the Bible um, as an incantation. Do this, 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 and then you'll get this. Because I've been in the prosperity gospel model where it's if you just have faith, your cancer will be removed. And here's this person going, I feel like I have faith. I want to have faith. And they feel like they're let down by God. So there's two things I want to put in front of you. The first thing is this. Um, 
the idea of the peace of God can only, will only, and is only possible to come to you if you are in Jesus Christ. There's no list that I can give you, and I'll do my best to give a list here if you're not a believer in here, or if you have somebody that you know that you feel like they need the peace of God. There is no list that myself or anyone can give that does not have the, context, the contextual work of in Christ Jesus. Paul has been saying this from the jump. And so this list in Christ Jesus, this list is for believers. If you're a believer in here, hear this list, trust this list, dive into this list. The second thing is this. Um, the list that he's going to give us, these imperatives, are not that crazy. They're like super simple. They're amazingly profound, but they're honestly pretty simple as well. Let me read something uh, from Tish Warren in her book, Liturgy, Liturgy of the Ordinary. She actually talks about this. She says, if we are to be a people of peace, our daily lives must be marked with this peace. There's nothing particularly special about this peace, but then again, there is something profoundly significant about it as well. Choosing the peace of Christ comes in the most normal moments of a day through the most normal ways, but it points to the extraordinary power of the gospel, the story of God reconciling his people to himself and to each other. I love that line in there where she says, there's nothing particularly special about this peace, but then again, there is something profoundly significant about it as well. So if Hebrews 12 tells us to strive for peace, and John 16, 11 tells us that uh, we can only have peace in Christ, then he, here's what we have. We, we have in Christ, we're striving for this peace, and it looks extremely normal. Meaning, as I coach these, these uh, young men that, this coming fall, um, it looks like just sprints. It looks like layup drills. It looks like dribbling drills. For us to get there, it looks really simple. But these little things begin to add up and have profound effects. So as we go through this list, take that to heart, recognize that you go, well, yeah, that's an obvious one. But man, let's start applying these things as a church. So let's go through it. Once you look at your Bible, to give you a little bit of, of uh, understanding of what we're going to do, I want you to look at verses 4, 5, and 6 for me, okay? Here's the commands. You can circle them or whatever you want. Um, in Greek, what we have is we have the ability for a word to tell us it's a command. It's called an imperative. And here's the imperatives in this, this passage here. In verse 4, you're going to see the beginning of verse 4 is the word rejoice. It's also at the end of verse 4 there as well. But the word rejoice is a command. Verse 5, um, this, the command statement, the ultimate command is be known. But the command statement is let your reasonableness be known. Uh, is, it's, it's this description of, well, we'll get into it in a second. Um, in verse 6, you're going to see, do not be anxious. It's a command in the negative. Do not be anxious. Uh, and then at the back half of 6, the command is, let your requests be, no, be made known to God. These are the commands that we're going to break down, okay? So we're striving towards peace. We're moving towards peace. Here's the four things that if you're looking for the peace of God as a believer in Jesus Christ, here's what Paul puts in front of you. The first thing is this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Um, rejoice isn't exactly a word we use all the time, right? But here's brass tacks. You want peace, look around with what you got and be grateful. The word, like, at its core is delight in. You want peace, quit, like, looking, like, be here, see what you have, and be grateful. You're right. There's a lot of things you don't have. And guess what? There's always going to be a lot of things you don't have. And so if you can take a posture of rejoicing in the Lord, recognizing that you have so much. Uh, it, it's, it's awesome because... Um, 
Well, first let me say this. Um, I think we could publicly probably rebuke the other elders for their lack of Spurgeon quotes over the last four weeks. Um, So let let me read something from Spurgeon because I think the way he articulated this idea, I remember reading this a while ago, and it's one of my favorite quotes because there's such a poetic nature about thanksgiving and um, and peace and all that. So let's read this together, and I'm going to explain it because it requires some explanation. It says this, thankfulness is the great promoter of peace. So if we want peace, thankfulness is the great promoter of peace. It is the mother and nurse of nurse of restfulness. Doubtless our peace is often broken because we receive mercies from God without acknowledging them. Do you hear what he said there? Our peace is broken because we've received these mercies from God and we haven't acknowledged them. That's what's breaking our peace. But listen to this line. This is super poetic. Neglected praises sour into unquiet forebodings or worries. Um, if If we render to the Lord the fragrant incense of holy gratitude, we shall find our soul perfumed with the sweet peace of God. That, that, um... Super, where is it? Um, Yeah, here we go. So we receive mercies from God. Neglected praises sour into unquiet forebodings. So when we have something we should be grateful for and be praising God for, that that he's given it to us, if we neglect that praise, if we don't stop and be thankful, that thankfulness will sour into worry. Because it's just one other trinket we've added. And so Spurgeon's point here is the proper posture, the right step to move towards the peace of God is to be grateful with what you've got. Something that I, I mean, I almost made shirts for my kids. The, the slogan we have over and over and over again is be grateful for what you have and content with what you got. Be grateful for what you have and content with what you got. This is the first step being in Christ towards the peace of God. Be grateful. Be grateful. There's a lot of mess around you. I get it. Be grateful. The second thing, after rejoicing, the second step in this is, he says this, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Um, this is going to require some explanation on this, this trending towards peace. So I spent more time on this, uh, this sentence than any other part of our passage today. It's extremely frustrating. So um, I don't love that ESV translated this word to reasonableness. Um, matter of fact, you will find it translated everywhere else in the Bible as gentle if you have a different translation besides uh, ESV, you'll see that it says gentle. And let me explain it. I understand why they use reasonableness. It just requires some explanation. Here's, here's how I think I can explain it. One of the greatest movies of all time, Gene Wilder, uh, Willy Wonka, or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, okay? And the story goes where this guy owns his chocolate. You know what? If you haven't seen it, it's like 40 years old. So in, in this movie, there's a character named Veruca Salt, right? And Veruca Salt is this stubborn brat. And her dad continues to just give her whatever she wants. And, and her declaration when she's sitting in this room with these goose that lay golden eggs. You definitely need to see the movie at this point, okay? She's sitting in this room. She's like, I want a party. I want a bean feast, right? And she, she begins, and she makes this declaration. She makes this declaration. Um, I want the world. I want the whole world, right? And just don't care how. I want it now. She's a bad egg. Um, okay. She... She was a bad egg. Um, okay, so, so her declaration is she wants the world, the whole world. Now, it's easy for us to observe as, view, as viewers of this movie that the director, the writer, they're painting this, this little girl. It's unreasonable. It's insane. For you to act this way, to want all of these things is absolutely unreasonable. It's like the four-year-old who's in the back crying because he doesn't get to drive. You go, listen, you're not thinking clearly. 
And, and the, the, the noun version of this word, meramile, is the idea of um, fair or equal, right? So, so what you think of, when you think of this word, you should be thinking clearly. I, I see an equalness about this. Now, what we find in this text is he uses this reasonableness as this adjective, um, and it gets a little bit confusing. So let me just explain it. In action form, you have this clear picture of what should be, and this is why it should be translated gentle, um, You can think clearly about what it is and go, it's okay. It's okay. There's a, the action form of reasonableness is this gentleness. So let me give you an example of what this looks like, not just in Veruca Salt, but a life uh, uh, example. Um, When Candace and I were in the process of adopting our daughter, we, um, we are about, geez, about, I think 12 months in, we picked her up from the hospital, 12 to 14 months in, in this process, I, something clicked in my brain where I was like, Listen, at this point, her returning to her mom is not an option. It's, she's been with us. I don't want anything to do with that world. She needs to stay with us. That's just, I, I kind of held off up to that point. I wanted reconciliation. But as I saw attachment going on, that just clicked. Right or wrong, and maybe wrong, but that's just what happened in me. It just clicked. And so we go see the judge, and I'll never forget it. It's the first time I remember um, looking at a judge and, and really realizing the judges in our culture and society have this crazy responsibility to oversee us as a society. I mean, if you really think about it, we are electing them to make decisions for us about society. And, and I'm in this courtroom, and we had Judge Cohen. Never forget, I'm talking with him. Uh, we're talking with him, and he just kind of stops in the middle of the proceeding, and he goes, listen, I know you can be frustrated with this process that I'm not just saying, done, all right, you know what, Anna can go with this adopted family, but, and then he stops and he goes, but we need to be a society that is not quick to remove kids from their parents. And I just remember going, <laughs> right? Like, I, I'm, I'm seeing this judge and I'm thinking, dude, that's so wild. And, and listen, what he had about him is what I didn't have in that moment. He had a reasonableness about him. He had a big pictureness about him. And gently he put in front of me, why? And so as we operate towards peace, there's a clear-headedness about what we have in front of us, and we're gentle in our approach. We're reasonable in our approach. That's the second thing that he gives us. The third command, the third imperative is, uh, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. This is obviously going to require some explanation here. So here's the word that's going to stick out. In this verse, there's no question the word anxious. So let me explain uh, here. My fear with this, this word anxious is that we're going to read a modern defining of that word, and we're going to apply it to the biblical word. We do this a lot in scripture, if I could be honest. We, one of the words that we do this a lot with is the word slaves. Uh, we actually had a sermon, a whole Sunday, devoted to this idea that uh, we read the word slaves, and we think colonial Uh, slavery, we think race, and that's not at all what the word slaves has to do anything at all within the Bible. But we apply our modern definition and we force feed it into scripture. And I just want to be careful. This word anxious um, is different than the way that we would apply anxiety to, okay? Clinical anxiety as described by psychiatrists is not the idea that Paul has in mind. There's no doubt that the root word comes from the same place, but we need to begin to decipher what that means. If I say I'm anxious about something, like I'm anxious about something that's about to come up, it's way different than when Candace, my wife, is saying she's having an anxiety attack or she's anxious about something. That's completely different. I want to be careful that we're not applying that word and forcing it into this word for two reasons. One, I don't think that's the definition of it. 
Two, I don't think in this moment, God is saying to those of you who deal with that type of anxiety, don't be anxiety driven. Don't have anxiety attacks. Don't be anxious. I don't think that's the command. So that's what it's not. Let me tell you what I I think it is. Um, Again, describing the, the word here. In Greek, the simplest form of it is one part doesn't agree with the whole. One part doesn't agree with the whole. And so here, here's what, what Paul's putting in front of these people that he loves is, you know what's true, and for some reason there's this part of you that's telling you it's not true. Like, I agree. And, and the best word that I think we can translate this as, and it's translated this word in the rest of Scripture, is worry. If you want to continue to walk towards peace, here's what you know. As a whole, you know to be true. But you're getting caught up. Something's happening right now. And this might be helpful for people who deal with strong anxiety, clinical anxiety. But at the end of the day, it it has far closer um, relationship to worry. Here's a part of you that is just going, I know that's true, but I'm holding on to this. and and, And it's hard for us to get our mind around. But at the end of the day, there's a part of you that's not agreeing with the whole. And Paul's saying, stop doing that. Trust, believe, have faith. And he doesn't just leave it there because the next part actually tags along with that. Listen, listen to what he does here. It's a comma, right? It's not a period. Do not be anxious about anything. Here's the comma. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay, so let's break down the sentence because these, this idea of do not be anxious, a command in the negative, ties itself with the next command of let your requests be made known to God. Um, let's put these together, and we're going to have to deconstruct the sentence a little bit. Here's, here's how it goes. But in everything, notice it's not just in turmoil or bleak times, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let's break this sentence down real quick. Uh, prayer is just prayer, talking to God. Supplication is not a word we use very often. It's kind of an old-time word. Supplication is just... Uh, a need that you have or a desire that you have that you want to be filled. So supplication is something you're asking for. So pray through supplication. Now listen to the next word, with thanksgiving. So, so I need you to hear the, the trail here. Um, go to God with what you know you need, with what you know you desire, but do it with thanksgiving. Now that's hard, isn't it? That's extremely difficult to get our mind around. You have a need. Let's say it's a dire need. There's someone on their deathbed and you're praying to go to God with thanksgiving, to ask that prayer request with it. Be thankful in that prayer request. I don't have this on the screen, but listen, Piper says this, making requests thankfully means that we will be content and thankful with whatever God wisely and lovingly gives us. And we know that he will hear our prayer and wisely and lovingly give us what is best for us. I'm telling you more than any part of our text today, I have seen in the flesh, so many of you in this room play this text out in crazy postures of your husbands having, uh, um, uh, brain clots or you on the, the verge of losing a child or, or you on the verge of losing your own life. I've sat in rooms where you make these crazy declarations of, I can't explain it, but I prayed and I just have this weird peace. Like believers, when they're pressed real difficult in those situations, make these declarations of, I just, I honestly, I went to God with it and whatever he wants to do, I just trust In its simplest form, listen to what this text is saying. Ask him and trust him. Listen, you've got it. You've got the desire. It's out of your hands. You can't do anything. Hear me. Ask him and trust him. 
He, he's not a father who, who like hates you. He's not just going to give you a stone. He wants to give you bread. Ask him and trust him. How many of you have parents? Love when your kids come to you. You desire to give them good things. Ask him and trust him. The command here, the last step in striving towards peace is make these worries, this part of you that doesn't agree, put these in front of the Lord, ask him and trust him. And and I love, listen, verse seven, which we only touched on in the front. When this is done right, right? The reverberation of this is, you ready? This same peace that we have, it will number one, it will surpass all understanding. So there is a um, societal approach to what's going on in your situation. And here you are, they're going, you should be mad at them. You should be frustrated with God. You should be, you should be, you should be. And you, for some reason, something's going on within, within you, right? And the language is, this peace of God, it surpasses all understanding. Theirs and yours. And hear this, it's not just going to guard your heart, but it's going to guard your mind. The promise as it describes this peace of God, that's different. Because hear me, political peace cannot guard your heart and mind. Relational peace cannot guard your heart and mind. Job security peace cannot guard your heart and mind. Your kids having a perfect life will not guard your heart and mind. But the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. It's better. It's different. It's beautiful. And this is the promise, if we can walk through this, if we would start our lives with rejoicing, which lends its hand ultimately, what's the, fourth, the second one? Um, our reasonableness, if we're reasonable in our approach. The third one ultimately is that we would not be anxious, that a part of that whole, uh, of who we are as a whole would line up with who we are as a whole. And lastly, we would bring our requests be, to, to make them known to God that we would trust him as we ask him. It's in his hands. This is the peace of God. Now, here's where I want to finish um, because I've been thinking about this sermon obviously for like four weeks. So there's quite a few other things that need to be said. Um, that I would love to share for the next hour and a half, but I, I can't. Here's, here's what, what I, um, I have here. Um, when we first started, when we planted as a church, we continue to put in front of us that we're planting for the purposes of mission, right? We would say that if we started as a church almost five years ago, that this is still true of you and I. We are in this world. We are amongst our friends, our coworkers, our family for the purposes of mission. We, on Sunday mornings, gather And if you don't know this, all the communities, right, communities are together. Those communities come together on Sunday, and we live together on mission. We go out as on mission, and this is just true. And the verse that we kept using is in Jeremiah 29, this declaration that uh, God has the Israelites who are kidnapped by these people. He has the Israelites in this pagan nation. And they want to get outside of this pagan nation. Get us out of here. Get us back to the promised land. And God's declaration through Jeremiah is no. I want you to strive, listen to it, you ready for it? For the peace of the city. God had his people, correction, God has his people amongst the pagan culture for the good and peace of those people who don't know Jesus. The reason he's given us this peace is so that we can give it to others. This is why Ephesians 2.17 says that he came to bring peace, not to just those who are far off, but to those who are near. As you are near to Jesus Christ, recognize you have this peace so you can give it to those who are far away. They don't understand it. They won't get it. But as we walk through this, we have the peace of God that they don't have. Let's be those people. Let's pray. Father, thank you just for who you are, first off. 
you are the God of peace, and um, we want to strive and long for peace. Our hearts, as just human beings, long for peace. I would pray just a prayer of repentance over us as a congregation for all the ways that we've looked for peace in different avenues and, um, and just came up empty. It may have scratched an itch for a second, but it didn't dive deep into our souls. And so I pray that we would be a people who rejoices continually. I pray that we would be a reasonable people, a gentle people who is clear-headed in our thinking. I pray that we would not be divided or anxious or worrisome about the things around us, but we would trust in you as we bring our requests to you, our petitions to you, our supplications to you. We would put them in front of you. We would ask, and then we would trust you. And I pray that that peace would be a fragrant offering, not just to you, but that smell would go amongst our our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and our family. They would see that the peace of God resides on us. It's in our souls. It's in our bones. And that we would be living testimonies to your peace. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.